you are a slave. You're a slave hating God, not wanting to be free. And he comes and yet still sets you free and takes you. And he takes you and you're his. He bought you. You're bought with the price with his blood that shed on the cross. You're paid for. You're paid for. If you're in Christ, if you listen to this stream and you're a Christian, you are paid for. You are bought. You are bought by Christ. So now, what does that have to do with Whitfield? I mean, he's human. He's not God. He's human. He's a, he's a sinner, you know, who's, who got sinful <laughs> ideas and he has, he's sinful thinking and everything. So what is it about him? Well, he wanted slaves. Man, he treated them good. For his name's sake, prescribe truth. We're giving you what the doctor ordered. Jamal Bandy, apologist, the Lord's servant. We undeserve it, but Christ changed our mind frame. In a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth. So, dealing with George Whitfield, more on him. Uh, man, I, do not, I really do not. Uh, feel like going back to over that spill again. Um, if you guys are listening to it now, this is actually my third attempt of doing this podcast tonight. Um, it, the mic has been going out on me, so hopefully it'll last. <laughs> and so what we were dealing with last week, just a, uh, a recap, uh, just real quick. Uh, we went over uh, a letter that was sent uh, by George Whitfield to the colonies in America, a couple of the colonies, about three of them concerning their mistreatment of slaves. So we know that George Whitfield was, was totally against the mistreatment of slaves. He saw them as human beings, not just mere property. He didn't look at them like that. Um, but yet the stain against him is the fact that he yet owned slaves. He, and he did. I mean, that's a, that's a reality. Now that's something we have to deal with, you know, and we will, that we're going to deal with it. So last week we talked about, um, is it, a sin, is it a sin in and of itself? Is it a sin in and of itself to own slaves? That was the question. And now we had a, somebody comment and he, you know, he said, well, when you kidnapping them and then doing so, then yeah, it is. And then at that point, I would agree with him. I would, you know, so because the Bible is totally against kidnapping people. It's, the Bible is clear on that. Men stealing is sinful and wrong. Abusing people, hurting people is wrong. It is. That's the truth of the matter. So, yeah, I agree with him in that sense. But is that the case for how all slaves are acquired? No. Some slaves are sold into slavery from other African tribes. That was just the truth. And some were maybe, you know, some may have been kidnapped and, you know, and taken from their village and so on and so forth. But the majority of the case of the slave trade was the fact that it was a trade. Um, Europeans were Europeans, French, and and everyone else was trading for slaves, and and throughout Africa, you know, it wasn't just, and it wasn't that they were finding them and just hog tying them and carrying them on back. They, I mean, they were already slaves and being sold into slavery, you know, and um, and we have to be, we have to be real that we, yes, we know there were some people who did some horrible things to slaves and mistreated them. We know this. I mean, it's historically true. It's one of America's not the darkest times of America's history is their is their participation in the slave trade and how they treated slaves in the South. So I mean that's that goes without saying, okay? So this is not about trying to trying to sugarcoat what was going on then and who took part and who's at fault and all that. No, the truth of the matter is what we've been dealing with for these pat for now going on two months now 
is this whole issue of why the rejection of Martin Luther King, you know, because he was he was pushing for the rights of blacks when you know for civil rights, he was pushing for that. So why do we reject him, and why do we like uh, affirm Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield because they own slaves? Yeah, they had their theology down packed, but the thing against them is said that they didn't love rights. That is the that is the claim. The claim is they did not love their neighbor because they owned slaves. That is the claim. All right. And so and some people can make an argument from that, but we're going to deal with that. That is the issue. I mean, that is the that is the main issue I hear, you know, concerning these gentlemen is that they own slaves and therefore, you know, they 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 didn't love their neighbor for real, you know. So anyway. And Martin Luther King, he had his heresies and all that. I'm not going into all that. That was in past videos. You can check those out. I encourage you to. All right. So anyway, now, um, so last week we look at the letter. He was he was getting on the people for abusing slaves. Now at this time, he wasn't even he didn't have slaves down in Georgia at the time. He didn't. You know he wasn't pushing for them. You know what I'm saying? Well, as a matter of fact, I take that back. He probably had slaves. You know he probably had slaves where he was in England, but not in Georgia. You know that's I want to say that. You know, don't quote me on that. You know, if y'all got a correction on that, let me know. Um, but for my understanding as I was reading this, as I was researching this, is that um, slavery was already uh, banned in Georgia. It was banned in Georgia. And um, it didn't become legalized until 1751. This was, this would be 11, it would be 11 years. Yeah, 11 years after he advocated for uh, slavery in Georgia. So, I mean, it wasn't like people listened to him like that. It wasn't like they was like, oh, well, because George Whitfield said it, we need to do it. You know, this is something that it took years for this to happen in Georgia. Um, so in 1740s when he advocated, but there was a reason for it. There's a motivation behind him wanting to have slaves in Georgia. And so we want to look at that too. All right. So please send in the questions or you can comment questions. You know, if I, if I think about it, I'll check the screen and we'll, so read questions and stuff like that. Um, you know, go from there. All right. For those listening on the uh, on the podcast apps, I would really be encouraged by your comments to what you think about this topic, uh, whether you disagree or agree. You know, uh, we got to have this conversation. It needs to be had in the Christian community, and we got to talk about it. I'm not being. I'm not claiming to be the one who knows it all concerning this topic. Um, I'm just giving my perspective and my view of these things and how I see it as we look at the root of the matter. All right. That's that is my goal with all of this. All right. So without any further ado, before the mic cuts out and something else goes wrong, let's go to the screen. Now, I apologize for you guys who are listening to this because you won't be able to see the screen, but I'm going to read uh, what we're going over. All right. So I will read it out for you guys. I'm thinking about you guys. Yeah, I'm thinking about you. All right. So here we go. So um, got it pulled up. This is Wikipedia. Like I said, guys, um, I will do. I will agree to do a follow up of this video. Somebody can send me the source. Uh, or if they if they find it before me concerning um, his advocacy for slavery, the actual his actual letter, and I and I will use that and I will I'll do a follow up or update on this. Uh, so I, I look forward to that. I want that. All right. I just I couldn't find it. I couldn't I couldn't get it. But anyway, we're looking. So this is Wikipedia. And, you know, I know this is not the the strongest thing to look at when we're looking up historical um historical information, but. There's some things that are here that are key, and there's still um, the, thing, the parts that I'm reading about is concerning some truth. All right, so that's what that's what we're looking at. And so the first thing I want to point out real quick for those on the stream is that one of the things that listed on here is dealing with the Bethsaida orphanage. 
Now, this is important. This is important. I wouldn't be going over it if it didn't matter. All right. So he had an orphanage and his orphanage was built in Georgia. All right. So it says Whitfield's endeavor to build an orphanage in Georgia was central to his preaching. The orphanage and preaching comprised, uh, com comprised the twofold task that occupied the rest of his life. On the 25th of March, 1740, construction began. What, what, um, Whitfield wanted the orphanage to be a place of strong gospel influence with a wholesome atmosphere and strong discipline. So this is what this is what his goal was for this orphanage. You know, uh, this was a school for boys, as it, as his um, original title. And he said, on returning to North America in 1740, he preached a series of revivals that came to be known as the Great Awakening of 1740. In 1740, he engaged. Um, Moravian brethren from Georgia to build an orphanage for Negro children on land he had bought in the Lay Valley of Pennsylvania. So now I was like, whoa, whoa. I was like, man, I was like, this is different. I never heard nobody mention this. I haven't heard this. You know, when I, when I started researching these things, that's when I started learning more about Whitfield. Like I, I promise you guys, I ain't know, I didn't really know a lot about Whitfield prior to this. You know, I knew that he was, um, you know, one of the reformers. He believed he uh, preached reformed theology and all that kind of stuff, you know, wrote books, you know, preached a lot, you know. But I didn't know any of this stuff as I was looking it up. And I was like, OK, cool. I was like, wow, wow. It says in 1740, he engaged Moravian brethren from Georgia to build an orphanage for Negro children on land he had bought in the Lay Valley of Pennsylvania. For Negro children. Now, I had no idea about that. This was the orphanage for the ch these children who didn't have Lehigh. <laughs> oh, Le oh, they said Lehigh. <laughs> hey, I said Lay County. <laughs> hey, this man, that's look, Lay Valley. That's what I'm going to say. Lay Valley. Now, <laughs> somebody's correcting me on YouTube, y'all. They're they telling me I'm pronouncing this wrong. I may be. I may be. I'm known for butchering names, y'all. But that's what got me. Negro, Negro children. He built this orphanage for Negro children on land he had bought in Pennsylvania. Following a theological disagreement, he dismissed, he dismissed them, but was unable, uh, unable to complete the building, which the Moravians subsequently bought and completed. So this was in Pennsylvania. This now is a white Whitfield house in the center of Moravian settlement of Nazareth. <laughs> so uh, I'm laughing, y'all, because um, on YouTube, one of one of my guys on here, he's from Pennsylvania, so he's trying to tell, he he knows how to how he knows how to pronounce his name. So he's he's you know he's letting me know what what it really is. All right, <laughs> but that's the thing. So now so now it's called the Whitfield House, and it says the Whitfield House is owned by the Moravian Historical Society. All right. So the next paragraph says he preached nearly. Uh, every day for months to large crowds of sometimes several thousand people as he traveled throughout the colonies, especially New England. All right. Then um, it says, like his contemporary and acquaintance, Jonathan Edwards, Whitfield preached staunchly Calvinist theology that was in line with the moderate Calvinism of the 39 articles. All right. So that's, you know, I mean, I read every line of this part of, Beth, of the Bethsaida Orphanage, but that's that's what's important. That was important. All right. So because he built an orphanage in Georgia, you know, that was the whole thing. 
So let me get here. Let's see, do they mention that here? No, they don't mention the name here. I know it was a it was a um it was an orphanage for boys. But anywho, so as we so we read that on Best Aid of Orphanage. Let's go to his advocacy advocacy of slavery. All right, so it says um, John Wesley denounced slavery as the sum of all villainies um, and de- and detailed its abuses. So John Wesley against it. However, defenses of slavery were common among 18th century Protestants. Yeah, I believe that. You know, especially missionaries who used the institution to emphasize God's providence. Yep, that sounds like Reformed theology there, and that's how I see why a lot of people are blaming Reformed theology for all this because of the the doctrine of predestination and election and the fact that God is sovereign. All things happen according to his will, you know, and and everything that happens according to God's will is good for God. He he is good. Everything he does is good. He allows us good. His intentions are good and all of that, you know, even how he uh, maneuvers in the world and how he uses things that we would see as bad or, you know, that would, probably seem to bring harm to others yet works out for his good in the end and bring some glory. Um, so I, I see how this whole issue can go into um, people being against reformed theology. You know, this is what they use. They, Hey, slavery, this is a part of God's divine providence. They wouldn't be slaves. If it wasn't for God's providence, A, B, and C, and they're using it for that point. Now, would I go that far to say stuff like that? I mean, yeah, I would believe that. Cause I believe, I believe all things happens according to God's will and his plan. God is not taken by surprise by anything that happens in the world. And at this time, slavery is a common thing. It's not new. It's not like somebody just happened to come up with an idea and say, hey, I want to own a slave. Like, slavery has been in existence at this point for centuries, for, for, for centuries. You know, going all the way back into the Old Testament times. I mean, so it wasn't like this was an uncommon thing, you know what I'm saying? But it was something to be noted that there were Christians who felt a conviction about owning slaves. There were Christians who felt a conviction, and hey, I, you know, um, this is this is wrong. And given the fact that how some people were treating slaves, and well, most probably, I, I would like to, say, I would go on and say most, you know, and I could be wrong, I don't know most, but you could say we could say most for the sake of arguing. Like, given how people were treating slaves, I can see how Christians are like, man, like, no, nah, man, we ain't doing that. Like, no, nah, I'm against that. And then you have slaves who like, well, you got other slave owners who's like, well. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not mistreating them. I'm not, I'm not doing them wrong. I, I think it's okay. I think it's a good thing. You know, I think, hey, bring them close by A, B, and C. You know, and that's why I wanted to read um, Phil's writing because he argues, um, he does argue for the fact that if we have them, if we're, if we're Christian and we have slaves, then, hey, it's a better way to teach them the gospel. It's a better way to preach to them. And it was as if, I heard somebody say this in the past, it was as if Whitfield didn't believe that they could receive the gospel in Africa. Like they had to come to America and be slaves in order to hear the gospel, you know, and if that's the case. I mean, yeah, I would agree with that. Like, like I, I would agree with the, the, the uh, opposer, you know, like, yeah, the slaves don't have to be in America in order to be Christian. There was Christianity in Africa long before the slave trade. And that's a known fact, known fact. And it's sad. A lot of people in the, in the conscious community, they always bring up the argument that, you know, if you were black, you wouldn't even know about being, you wouldn't know about Jesus until you was a slave. And that's, and that's just, that's poppycock. <laughs> that's foolish, you know, but that's what they say because they don't know history, you know, but we can get, we can have understanding of why that is because a lot of Christians were owning slaves and a lot of Christians 
were, you know, preaching to their slaves, giving, you know, sharing them the gospel, you know, and some were using the Bible, you know, and some other people who aren't truly Christian was using the Bible to mistreat and manipulate slaves while others were doing it the right way. So we have to, we have to allow for these nuances because they do exist. They do exist, y'all. And once again, so what are the convictions? The conviction is, is slavery a sin? So that's the first thing that's, that's addressed here with Jonathan Wesley. He felt like it was a sin. You know, that was his conviction. And he, and he detailed its abuses. That's what the article talks about. He details its abuses in his writing. And so, and they give, they give a reference to his work. It was, a, it was a work that John Wesley did, Thoughts Upon Slavery by John Wesley, published um, in the year 1774. So this was, that was something given in his words. And so he, he detailed its abuses. So John Wesley obviously is looking at the, looking at the abusive side of slavery. Not so much as the fact of owning them, but he would rather not even participate than to even be a part of that. And which I can rip, I can respect that. I respect that a lot. You know, anyone back then who refused to own slaves, I respect that wholeheartedly. You know, but the issue here with John, with George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, is were they racist towards slaves? Is this a racist thing? A racist motive? A racist agenda? Or is it something that was just common in the time? It's something they went with and they didn't see a conviction as far as what scripture teaches that say, hey, this is wrong. Whitfield gives that. He's, he, Whitfield gives that in his letter that we read last week. If you haven't, if you haven't watched it, I would encourage you to watch the last week's um, stream where we read from a letter he sent to the colonies in America, how he talks about, how he mentions his, his own words. And now you can say he didn't mean it or he didn't know better, A, B, and C, but these are his words. And as, as you know, what we've been dealing with, we've been dealing with people's own words. And so his words were, whether it's a sin or not to own slaves, I don't know. But what I do know is that it is wrong, and I'm paraphrasing this point, it is wrong to abuse them. That's what he said. So he knows it's, he knows it's a sin to abuse slaves and mistreat slaves and not feed them and not take care of them and all those things. He knows that, he, and he practices that. But the actual owning of slaves, he didn't feel a conviction that it was a sin. He didn't see a scriptural reference, a scriptural reference that would say, hey, own, the mere owning of slaves isn't a sin. So I thought that was interesting, you know, as we look at it. So now in this uh, article as I'm reading, you can see this on YouTube. You've probably been reading it as well. It says Whitfield was at first conflicted about slaves. He believed that they were human, but he also believed that they were subordinate creatures. And that was, um, and this is not a quote of his. This is a quote from somebody else's book. I don't know if you can see that on the screen. But it was somebody else's book they wrote. Um, this is from, there was an excerpt from Inventing George Whitfield, Race, uh, Revivalism, and the Making of a Religious Icon. So it was by uh, Jessica Parr. So that, that was her words, subordinate creatures, you know. And now, whether or not George Whitfield said it or not himself, I don't know. Um, but that is her wording of what he said. All right. So anyway, I haven't read the book, you know. And so anyway. Slavery had been, now we're going to say slavery had been outlawed in the young Georgia colony in 1735. So it was only five years later where he started advocating. And so it says in 1747, Whitfield attributed the financial woes of his Bethsaida orphanage to Georgia's prohibition of slavery. So that's what he that's what he says. So he attributed his the financial woes of his Bethsaida orphanage to Georgia's prohibition of slavery. He argued that the constitution of that colony, being Georgia, is very bad, 
and it is impossible for the inhabitants to subsist without the use of slaves. Now, that was from somebody else's book, a quote of George Whitfield from somebody else's book, Slaveholding Evangelist Whitfield's Troubling Mix of Views by Mark uh, Galley, if I pronounce his name right. And that was, so that was 1993 when, they, when he published that. All right, so that was that. He argued that the constitution of that state of that colony is very bad and it's impossible for the inhabitants of cis without the use of slaves. George Whitfield was looking at labor, looking at labor. All right. So, um, so let's go between 1748 and 1750 Whitfield campaigned for slavery's legislation. So I got my dates wrong. I said 1740 earlier and I apologize. 1748 and 1750. All right, so it would be a year later. It would be a year later that um, Georgia would um, legalize it. So in 1748 and 1750, Whitfield campaigned for slavery's legislation. He said that the colony would not be prosperous unless farmers had slave labor. Now, I remember reading that in the part of the excerpt that I read from his actual writing. And he talks about you know, because of their, uh, their skin, how they can take the heat and all that kind of stuff like that. Whitfield wanted slave, uh, slavery legislized not only for the property of the colony, uh, prosperity of the colony, but also for the financial viability of the Bethsaida orphanage. Had Negroes been allowed, he said, I should now have had a sufficiency to support a great many orphans without expending um, above half the sum that has been laid out. So he's, uh, he's upset because he's losing money. His thing is, hey man, the slavery's been allowed. Man, I better say, I better save more money than put it out there, than you know, than spend money on this on the orphanage and keeping it up and everything. So his his thing was saving money. That was a businessman. It wasn't that he was racist against them as far as hating them. That th thought they were less than human. Thought they were wicked scum of yours and just black mess. He saw them as humans, but that he valued free labor. That was his issue. The fact that he can just hire some other people to take care of Bethsaida and do what they're supposed to do—you know—he he wanted free labor. <laughs> that was his issue. If, that, if, that, if anything, that's what he's—that's what he's guilty of, like dealing with that mess. So wanting slave, wanting free labor, and not wanting to spend his money. But let's think about this: if we want to call them racist, think about what their orphanage was for—Bethsaida orphanage. What was the orphanage for? It wasn't for white children. He built it. For black babies. He built an orphanage for black children who didn't have families. That don't sound like somebody who's racist, man. That ain't somebody who's racist. There has to be a nuance. We have to allow for the facts to speak and the information to speak, guys. That ain't somebody who's racist. That's somebody who, who loves people, yet <laughs> want to stand you with his money. <laughs> don't want to spend all his money. And he, but also... He, he's he's been out obviously this whole time, this whole time since he started the um the uh the orphanage, I mean he's been putting out his own money, he's been putting out his own money, and he just makes an argument and he says, man, if they would have if they would have allowed it, then man, like we wouldn't be putting out as much money as we been, as we've been have. Like the economy is bad in Georgia and for that point, and that's what he's saying, you know. And so like no man like. I'm like, man, go out there. I know our, I know our thoughts are, hey, man, go out there and work it yourself. Like, go, go, man, like, go plow. And Whitfield, he wasn't even from America. He wasn't from America. He's from England. He traveled, I think he said he traveled like seven times between England and America you know, throughout his life. You know, preached a whole lot, but that's what he did. 
So it's like, man, hey, hire some people, man. You you ain't got to use the slave labor, especially if he if he's not here on the or if he's not here consistently, you know, dealing with everybody else. Like he he wants to legalize in Georgia, not keeping in mind that man, there are a lot of people in Georgia who is going to mistreat these slaves. If you legalize it, they're they're going to mistreat them and treat them wrong, beat them and everything else. Like it's more than the one thing. And so in his mind, he wants this. He don't want these Negro children to be out of a home. You know, that's what he's thinking about. You know, he, he wants to be, he wants it to be kept up, but he wants to use free labor. He wants to save money, a business move, uh, not a racist move, a business move. And so that, that's, that's thing. And so, um, that's concerning him. Now I can't speak for everyone in Georgia. The argument is concerning Whitfield. Now, if you want to say, Hey, Jamal, like, man, like, do you, do you even agree with that? Like, man, like, do you feel like that was right? That was good. Like, man, in my own opinion, like, nah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that was a, real, a right reason to want slavery in Georgia, knowing and knowing that Whitfield knows the state of men's hearts. He understands biblical theology. He knows that we are sinful and wicked. We take everything that could be used as okay and, and, and decent, and we abuse it. But even God, when he, when he uh, gave parameters to Israel concerning how they should be towards their slaves and those who come and when they go and conquer a town and they take slaves and how they should treat them, we can't be foolish and think that... God put those parameters in place knowing that there were going to be Israelites who don't obey. And just like the rest of the world, you know, they, they're going to sin. They're going to be wrong. They're going to do things wrong. They are. We're sinners. You know, so, I mean, we, we, we got we to gotta be fair across the board here. You know, God gave parameters of how it should be done. He, he allowed not, once again, as we go back, y'all, catch you don't hear the beginning. He was totally against the kidnapping of people. So, when people use the story of the Atlantic slave trade, how they went and uh, stole people and take and took people from their families and all that kind of stuff like that and traded into slavery. Yes, kidnapping, wrong, wrong, sin, needed to repent. But some of them people wasn't kidnapped. They were sold into slavery. They were already slaves and they were sold. They were bought. And you think about this. And, I, and the Bible uses a lot of illustration concerning slavery, even when it comes to us being in Christ. We were slaves to sin, and now we're slaves to Christ. And guess what, y'all? When we're when we're slave to sin, there's no plan for us to be let go. We can't. The Bible says we the who the Son sets free is free indeed. We are slaves to sin. We're not we're not just um, holding sin's hand and walking throughout life just holding sin's hand doing whatever. No, we were slaves to sin, bound in chains with no plans of being let go. You know, plans. Until the sun comes and sets you free. And when the sun sets you free, the Bible says you are free indeed. But guess what, y'all? Let's be real. You're not free. You're you're free of sin. But if you're free of sin, then you are bound to Christ. You are a slave unto righteousness. I love the song by Beautiful Eulogy. It calls a surrender. Man, y'all check that out if you have it. It's a beautiful song. It says we all surrender. This is hilarious. We all surrender. We all surrender like slaves, you know, ones to death and ones to life in the Lord. That's the difference, y'all. Either one, all of us are slaves. Either we're a slave to sin or we're a slave to Christ. I'd rather be a slave to Christ than a slave to my sin because my sin is going to lead me to death. Being a slave to Christ leads me to life in the Lord. So, in the illustration of that alone, man, we have we have proof, man, that if that if God uses that man, slavery in itself isn't a sin. In that case, then we got we got we got to think about our faith a lot. 
the language that's used concerning our conversion and, and us being in, in right standing with God and all that kind of stuff. Because a lot of people like to think about, oh, man, you know, God, he just waits on us and he waits on us to come to him and we love him and all that stuff. Like, no, like, no, you are a slave. You're a slave hating God, not wanting to be free. And he comes and yet still sets you free and takes you. And he takes you and you're his. He bought you. You're bought with the price with his blood that shed on the cross. You're paid for. You're paid for. If you're in Christ, if you listen to this stream and you're a Christian, you are paid for. You are bought. You were bought by Christ, redeemed. That's what we mean by redeemed. He redeemed us, and praise God, He did. So now, what does that have to do with Whitfield? I mean, he's human. He's not God. He's human. He's a he's a sinner, uh, you know, who who got sinful <laughs> ideas, and he has he's sinful thinking and everything. So, what is it about him? Well, he wanted slaves. Man, he treated them good. He treated them well. And see, I said this a long time ago. I said this a long time ago, y'all. I said this, if I was a Christian back then, I would, I would want to own, I would own slaves. Why? And you say, oh, Jamal, you just said it because you, you just follow them white men. They didn't say, you say what you want to say, man. I'm just being honest. I said this a long time ago. I said, back then, if I was a Christian, because I knew the types of abuses that was going on, I would want to purchase slaves that I can keep away from those abuses, that I would do my part to try to keep them away from that. Because one, one way or another, they're going to get sold. Because if George Whitfield didn't purchase those slaves, he had 50 slaves when he died, 50. That's all he had, 50 slaves. Those 50 slaves would have went to somebody else. If he didn't buy them, they would have went to someone else. And guess what happened? What, what's, more like, what's most likely to happen to those 50 slaves and those babies, those babies he had in the orphanage? What would have happened? Hmm? Who, who would have had them? You know what I'm saying? So that, I think about that. I was like, man, to keep them from being abused, I, I don't want them to be abused. I'll purchase them for myself. If I have the money, I purchase them for myself, bring them to my home, treat them well. ABC, they, hey, I treat them, I feed them, I clothe them, and I, and I bring them here, and all they got to do is work. That's it. And that's it. You know what I'm saying? That's how some people did, but that's not the case for all. And we got to talk about that, y'all. That's not the case for everybody. And everybody didn't do slaves like that, man. They brought them over there. They raped women. Separated men from their uh, from their families, split the families up, man. Separated brothers and sisters from each other. I mean, it was wicked, man. Wickedness. But when, but where throughout history have men not messed up something that could have been used and redeemed? We're not. You know what I'm saying? And so this is one. This this is one of them. So anyway, <laughs> so he he is legalized in Georgia. All right, and it says um. After he died, he left everything to the Countess of Huntington, and that included 4,000 acres of land and 50 slaves. Now, I want to read this. Now, I don't know, hopefully some of y'all are already reading this, but I'm reading this for those who's watching on the live stream. In 1740, during his second visit to America, Whitfield published an open letter to the planters of South Carolina, Virginia, and Maryland, chastising them for their cruelty to their slaves. That's what I was talking about before. I read, I read, this, I read literally the whole thing, almost the whole thing. Um, in last week's um podcast, you check that out. He says, "I think he said I think God has a quarrel with you for your abuse of and cruelty to the poor Negroes." Furthermore, Whitfield wrote, "Your dogs are caressed and fondled at your tables, but your slaves, who are frequently styled dogs or beasts, have not an equal privilege." And so what he's saying is, you call these people dogs, you call them dogs and beasts, yet you don't even treat them right. You don't even treat them like you, you don't even treat them as good as you treat your dogs. He, he's getting on to him for this. He says, however, Whitfield stopped short 
of rendering a more a rendering a moral judgment on slavery itself as is, as an institution. And I mentioned that he he said it in his letter. He wrote it in his own words. He said, "Whether it's a sin or not to have them, I know not, but I do know that it's wrong to abuse them." But this is what I thought was interesting. The Bethsaida Orphanage set an example of humane treatment of slaves. This was a quote. This was a quote. And this is from a book, uh, Beloved Bethsaida, A History of Georgia, uh, of Georgia, Georgia, The History of George Whitfield's Home for Boys. And that's from um, Edward Cashin. And that was, that was published in 2001. It said, The Bethsaida Orphanage set an example of humane treatment of slaves. And then Phyllis Wheatley, now this is an important person, Phyllis Wheatley, who was a slave, wrote a poem, on the, and it's called, On the Death of the Reverend Mr. George Whitfield in 1770. The first line calls Whitfield a happy saint. She spoke well of him, and she wrote this while she was still a slave. She wrote this letter, I mean this poem, while she was still a slave, named Phyllis Wheatley. I'm going to click on her because I had pulled up her poem. And I wanted to read that for you guys. I wanted to read it for you guys, man. It's interesting. She was a slave, and she was a slave of his. And her words about him speaks volumes to what actually slaves thought of him. It don't seem like people were upset for being owned by George Whitfield, not, especially not her. So I'm going to pull her up real quick, Phyllis Wheatley. It says, also spelled uh, Phyllis and Wheatley. Said um, she was the first published African American female poet. The first published, born in West Africa, she was sold into slavery at the age of seven or eight, and transported to North America. So she wasn't kidnapped. And you got to think about she was born in West Africa. Who sold her? And we all know this. Come on, y'all. Let's look at history. Who sold her? White did. White didn't sell her to white. No, that wasn't the case. She was already a slave. And sold into slavery. She wasn't kidnapped. She was sold. She was purchased by the Wheatley family of Boston, given her name Wheatley, who fought, who taught, I say fault, who taught her to read and write and encouraged her poetry, her co- encouraged her poetry when they saw her talent. Huh. So she was owned by, she was owned by slave owners who was actually encouraging her they taught her to read and write huh man that was actually somebody who taught slaves to read and write back then while they were slaves they taught her to read and write and encouraged her poetry when they saw her talent that means man she had it made i mean not had it made because she was a slave right but like they treated her well she treated her well compared to other slaves who were treated wrong who were being beaten and bruised and victimized like she didn't have it that bad said the, um, the publication of her poems on various subjects religious and moral on September 1773 brought her fame both in England and the American colonies. 1773, y'all. People were interested in black in African American writers in 1773. Why they were still, you know, slaves and stuff? Wow, okay. Figures such as George Washington praised her work. Oh, it probably was after this no, it was after slavery, maybe. I don't know. I'm getting my dates mixed up, y'all. Forgive me. Anyway, where's about her book? Um Cause I had pulled it up. I had pulled up her uh, thing, her portrait. There we go. So this is this is beautiful. Now this is her feeling towards George Whitfield. All right. He says, "Hail, happy saint, on thine immortal throne, posit of glory, 
life and bliss unknown. We hear no more the music of thy tongue. She called, she called his speech music. Thy sermons in unequaled accents flowed, and every bosom with devotion glowed. Thou didst in strains of eloquence refined, inflame the heart, and captivate the mind. Unhappy we the setting sun deplore. So glorious once, but ah, it shines no more. This speaks of sadness that he died, y'all. She's sad that he died. Behold, the prophet in his, uh, what it says, towing light, to towering light, towering flight. <laughs> that doggone autocorrect. <laughs> he leaves the earth for heaven unmeasured height. And worlds unknown receive him from our sight. There Whitfield wings, uh, wings with rapid course his way, and sails to Zion through vast seas of day. Thy prayers, great saint, and thine incessant cries have pierced the bosom of thy native skies. Thou moon hast seen, and all the stars of light, how he has wrestled with his God by night. He prayed that grace in every heart might dwell. He longed to see America excel. He charged his youth that every grace divine should with full luster in their con conduct shine. That Savior which his soul did first receive, the greatest gift that even a God can, can give, he freely offered to the num numerous um, throng that on his lips with listening pleasure hung. Yeah. I mean, that don't sound, I'm sorry, that don't sound like somebody who was being abused, beaten, victimized, ridiculed, and all that. That don't sound like somebody who was being under someone who was a racist. That doesn't sound like somebody who was owned by a racist. That sounds like somebody who was owned by a slave owner who treated them good, who did right by them. You know, and, and, you know, and so he just wanted labor. He just wanted the helping hands. That's what he wanted. And once again, y'all, if you haven't heard me, I'm going to say this for the third time. The best state orphanage, this whole reason for him even advocating for slavery in Georgia was an orphanage for black boys. Black boys. Teaching them to know Christ. An orphanage for kids who don't have fathers. Wow. I mean, y'all, how do you take a messed up situation and bring the gospel to it. That's one way. May not be the way you may chose. But in his conviction that's the way he chose. But the, you can't say the man was racist. You can't say he was racist. You know what I'm saying? Like you can say, you can say he owned slaves. But yeah once again. Was it a sin to own slaves? That's what we have to think about y'all. So I, that, that, that's, I'm a, I don't think I'm going to end there man. Yeah, yeah I'm going to read this last part. And it's dealing with his travels. He said, Whitfield is remembered as one of the first to preach to slaves. So he's one of the first to even preach the gospel to slaves. One of the first. Not the first, but one of the first. And talk about Phyllis Wheatley, who wrote a poem um, after he died while she was still a slave. And so that means she probably was in the care of um, the lady, that the countess, that he left everything to. He said, in an age when crossing the Atlantic Ocean was a long and hazardous adventure, he visited America seven times, making 13 ocean crossings in total. It is estimated that throughout his life, he preached more than 18,000 formal sermons, of which 78 have been published 
In addition to his work in North America and England, he made 15 journeys to Scotland, most famously to the preached, um, preached, I can't pronounce that word, of Can- uh, Cambusling in 1742. I can't pronounce that. Two journeys to Ireland and one each to Bermuda, Gibraltar, and the Netherlands, in England and Wales. Whitfield's uh, itinerary included every, com- every county. He went uh, to the Georgia colony in 1738, following John Wesley's departure, to serve as a col- colonial um, chaplain of Savannah, or at Savannah. While in Georgia, Whitfield served as a minister for an orphanage and traveled extensively throughout both North America and Britain in an effort to raise money for the organization. He would often preach and attend public events during his travels, which uh, served to further spread his message. All right, so that's that's that. Man, that was a lot. <laughs> One day I'll get better with reading on here for you guys. So sorry about that for those who may have been confused at my poor reading. All right, but that's it. That's it, man. I, you know, where's the evidence of him wanting of him being racist? You know, I don't see that. So it wasn't like slavery was just this 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 new in America. Like it just happened in America. Like no, it was a common thing at the time. And people, you know, there were some who treated slaves right. There were some who treated them wrong. I mean, that's that's just the case, y'all. And with those who committed sin, of course, we call them to repent. And those in America who used the Bible to um, manipulate slaves and all that, then what we say, y'all, they weren't truly Christian. I don't care what they claimed to be. They weren't truly Christian. But George Whitfield, he showed forth that he was truly a Christian. He handled this issue as a Christian should. He treated them fairly. He treated them right. Those 50 slaves he owned, those 50 slaves he owned, he treated them right. To the point where one of them, one of them, who was sold into slavery, been a slave since he was a child. And that's sad to say. That's sad to say. A slave before, like, a slave was since he was a baby. You know what I'm saying? Growing up a slave. An adult in her adult life. But yet, she was treated good, treated good, and, and spoke well of Whitfield. I mean, I, you know, you don't hear you don't hear nobody speak of somebody like that when they're racist towards them. You don't. You won't hear that, man. You know what happened? What happened to those who were mistreating slaves when and people rose up against them? You know, they they got to them. You know, and that's what people feared. But Whitfield, he treated them well. So that's that's on him. If anybody else got um, another uh, source they want me to look at concerning this topic or something else they want me to look at. In this, you know, and if you disagree, I mean, and what I discussed today, I mean, I would love to be able to go over that. Like, let's let's get down to brass tacks. You know, I mean, this, you know, this is this is a highly controversial topic. Uh, It can get very emotional. I understand that. But, you know, at the end of the day, all truth is God's truth. That's it. All truth is God's truth. It's his truth, you know, and it's the truth. All right. It doesn't matter how we feel about it. It's about what's reality. It's about what's real, and it's about what's true. All right, and that's what I argue for here on Prescribed Truth. All right, so uh, once again, y'all, uh, you call me at 801-980-6333. Uh, get, uh, email me at prescribed.truth at gmail.com if you want to uh, chop it up with me as well. Uh, support us on Patreon if you do so. You can donate. There's a link in the description if you just want to donate a one-time donation. I greatly appreciate it. Um, what else? Oh, by the way. Um, I'm starting the Discord, and um, man, it's it's good so far. Got a couple brothers on there now, just building it up. Um, then the Discord, man, it's gonna be for um, people want to come on. They 
you know, you want to chop it up and they don't want to, they don't feel comfortable calling and all that kind of stuff. Hey, you can come on a Discord. We can chop it up on there. I have an open session on there. We can uh, do open voice chat. You can ask questions. We can chop it up. Even debate if you like. I mean, we can have conversations. It's open. It's open to subscribers. It's open. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna, um, if I have more people that's interested, I'm going to leave a link in the description. And you can, you're welcome to come in. It's ready to go. All right? So, with that being said, in a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings.